0: For the next six weeks, I'm going to try and take you on a journey through the stories, some of the stories in the book of Genesis. These stories in particular will focus on one one particular character, and that is Jacob. Jacob, who later becomes Israel and is the parent to an entire nation. Now, as we prepare to read Scripture from the book of Genesis, I invite you to pray with me. Gracious and loving God, we offer our thanks for the words of Scripture, for the stories of women and men who have heard your call and responded, here I am. Now, as we read the ancient texts, we pray that... In reading and expounding upon them, and in our hearing, they may come alive. We ask this in the name of the living word, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Listen to scripture from Genesis These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel the Aramean, of Paddan Aram, sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. and The Lord granted his prayer, and his wife Rebekah conceived. The children struggled within her. And she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. When her time to give birth was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. All his body was like a hairy mantle. And so they named him Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter. A man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff for I am famished. Therefore, he was called Edom. Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Esau said, But I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to mourn. Every Sunday morning, our family would go to church. It was the habit. My mother would take the four children, and we would sit in the same pew every Sunday morning, second row from the back on the right side as you look at the pulpit. It's kind of the family pew. Okay, truth telling. As a child, it was for me the longest hour of the week. Now my mind would often wander as when I sat in a congregation during worship, especially during the sermon. That should give you some idea about how God calls us. Think about that one. Well, for some reason, preaching just didn't hold my attention. And consequently, I devised a host of different ways to get myself through that 30-minute sermon. And I offer them to you if you find that this is difficult. (laughs) First, an old Second Church, Second Reformed Church in New Brunswick, I would count the number of tiles that were in the ceiling. After I did that, I would take the bulletin, and I would take a pen or the pencil that was in the pew and fill in all the zeros and O's. And if I began to fidget just a little too much, I would soon feel my mother's hand on my knee. And if I continued to squirm, my mother's hand would soon deliver the infamous church pinch (laughs) to settle me down. If you notice, I walk with a little limp. (laughs) I found the worship service to be painfully dull, apart from one thing, and Cindy, you'll appreciate this singing hymns. Singing hymns. But as I got older, I started to read the stories in the Bible. And something just didn't connect. They were great stories. David and Goliath. It was a fascinating story for a young boy to read. It spoke to me and it said that a youngster like me could make a difference and we didn't need to fear the giants or the bullies that were in the world. And so I grew to love the stories of the Old Testament. Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel. Noah and the flood. My favorite was Moses and the snakes. And there was the golden calf. Saul and David. Solomon and the construction of the temple. Made my Lincoln logs kind of make sense. And of course, Jacob and Esau. And I began to wonder how the preacher could take such fabulous, interesting stories and make them so boring. (laughs) Is that the art of homiletics? (laughs) My father just rolled over in the grave. Later in college, I discovered the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, and he gave voice to my thoughts about the Old Testament. He wrote these words. Let others complain that the age is wicked. My complaint is that it is paltry, for it lacks passions. Men's thoughts are thin and flimsy like lace. They are themselves pitiable like the lace makers. The thoughts of their hearts are too paltry to be sinful. For a worm, it might be regarded as a sin to harbor such thoughts, but not for a being made in the image of God. Their lusts are dull and sluggish, and their passions are sleepy. This is the reason my soul always turns back to the Old Testament and to Shakespeare. I feel that those who speak there are at least human beings. They hate, they love, they murder their enemies, they curse their descendants throughout all generations, They sin. The stories in Genesis have all the components of good drama. There's nothing dull about them. They are filled with romance, conflict, lust, war, humor, and perhaps most interesting, sin. And so during the next six weeks, I'll be preaching using the stories in Genesis about Jacob and his extended family. His importance to the Old Testament cannot be overstated. Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so these engaging stories, I believe, reveal a lot to us. About human nature, about God, about relationships, and about spiritual growth and development. They're also contemporary stories. I think we can relate to them. It's not hard for us to place ourselves in the midst of them and understand our own lives in terms of them. And so that's my intention during these next six weeks. I want us to experience these ancient narratives as a contemporary drama. Let me retell the story of Jacob and Esau as though it were to occur today. It's about a squabbling family, the Abramson family, if you will. Isaac and Rebekah, their two sons, Esau and Jacob. Now, we might use the word dysfunctional to describe it. In our day, they would probably be referred to by to a family therapist. And I imagine if we could take a glimpse at the therapist's report, it might read something like this. Case number 3244. The Abramson family is highly conflicted. The primary reason for the referral to therapy was because of the intense conflict that developed between the two sons, Jacob and Esau. They're fraternal twins, but there is little similarity, physical, psychological, or social. Esau is muscular, ruddy, and large bone. His preferences are for physical work, and he enjoys the outdoors. He has a high need for immediate gratification and often makes poor choices because of this. He has a quick temper and often threatens violence. He recently threatened his brother's life, claiming that Jacob cheated him out of his birthright. Jacob, on the other hand, has finer features. He appears to be somewhat introverted. And nonetheless, he practices risky behaviors, relying on his intuition as a guide. He prefers domestic environments, and he eschews physical labor. He's an accomplished cook and is more intelligent and craftier than both his father, Isaac, and his brother, Esau. Jacob also has several pathological personality traits. His personality is not matured. He is highly self-centered, and he believes that the world exists for his needs only. He's also sneaky and manipulative. This appears to be the source of the conflict. Jacob has a vivid imagination, but has not found a productive use for it. He's also narcissistic, and I fear this will impede any maturity or psychological development. It's apparent that he indeed cheated his brother on several occasions. The conflict between the two siblings is exacerbated by poor parenting. Both parents play favorites with their children. Isaac, the father, outwardly favors Esau. Esau is the natural heir of Isaac's possessions and family stature. And Esau is aware of this favoritism and plays on it, often bringing his father game from his hunting. And he does this to curry favor. Isaac also has unresolved personality issues he appears to have endured some type of trauma as a child. The trauma is related to his relationship with his father, Abraham. It has impacted Isaac's social interactions. Consequently, Isaac is withdrawn both emotionally and spiritually. Although he comes from a very religious family, he rarely speaks of this which indicates that some type of religious trauma or abuse occurred early in life. His life is also complicated by progressive blindness. Isaac is of low to average intelligence, yet he's able to function in his reasonably unsophisticated world. But complex situations, especially human relationships, bewilder and frustrate him. And he shares this with Esau. Rebecca, the mother, is quite intelligent and seems to be the unacknowledged leader of the family. In order to survive in this patriarchal culture, her intelligence is often manifest in passive and manipulative behaviors. She favors Jacob and shares these characteristics with him. Isaac and Rebecca seem to have a working relationship, but it is neither developed nor intense. Rebecca became pregnant with the twins at a later age and had a very difficult pregnancy. Part of the family legend is that the conflict between Jacob and Esau began in her womb, causing the difficult pregnancy. Rebecca, despite her cunning and often manipulative behavior, is quite devout, spends a great deal of time in prayer and reflecting on spiritual matters. Now, one might conclude from this analysis that the Abramson family is highly dysfunctional and that the conflict will continue unless there is some intervention. There's a strong possibility that this conflict could even become violent. All of this is fueled by Isaac's poor health and questions about the family inheritance. Do You get the picture? Why is this story so important? I've updated the events, even made them modern in terms of psychobabble and psychological theory. But the question remains, so what? It's just one more dysfunctional family. Well, here's the biblical answer. This is the foundational family for the history of Israel. And they're a mess. They're a mess. The story and the ones that follow are important for our generation because I think they reveal to us a lot about God. The events are like a soap opera. With one exception, God is the primary player in this drama. In this narrative, we discover that God is not bound by human weakness and abilities and inabilities. No. God uses dysfunctional families, immature and self-centered young men, manipulating spouses, and hard-working stiffs. He uses them to accomplish God's purpose. God's choice of people does not always make sense to us. You know, there must have been some healthier families around, don't you think? Why didn't God choose them? And this quality of God is both mystifying and it's hopeful. Why does God choose whom God chooses? But then let's consider Jesus. He picks them Quite ordinary individuals to lead an amazing revolution of the spirit. Fishermen, tax collectors, harlots and outcasts. This is the story of God that's revealed to us in the pages of the Bible. It's a strange and often intriguing story. It's a very human story, but most importantly It is a story that is filled with hope. Hope for you and me. It's hopeful because it reveals that human beings, by God's grace, have the capacity to change and to grow. We can mature, and our lives can be purposeful. It's hopeful because it tells us that God can take the most messed up family and bring forth from that family leadership, Leadership that makes a difference in the world. It's hopeful because it says to every person, to you and to me, all of us who come from dysfunctional contexts, you can rise above it. It need not control your future. It also reminds us to be very careful of our judgments of others. God sees people differently. Finally, this narrative reveals the way God works. The way God works in the lives of individual human beings. It reveals that God does not accept the limitations of custom and norm. God disregarded the patriarchal culture of of that day. The instrument of God's plan and intention was not Isaac, but Rebecca. Rebekah. The custom of that day would be to bestow everything on Esau, the family blessing and the inheritance. Because he was older, albeit by a few minutes. But God is neither a respecter of patriarchal human tradition nor custom. Jacob, the second son, received the birthright and the blessing. I have to say, as a second son, I find that kind of good. (laughs) My brother Bruce might be watching, forgive me. Most importantly, it reveals that amidst the soap operas of our lives, with its intrigue and craziness, there is indeed purpose. God is working toward an end that we may not perceive. God may be calling you or me to a task that we may not understand nor believe is possible. I think this is the significance of the Jacob Chronicles. A spoiled brat, a self-centered mama's boy, a kid who people thought would amount to nothing, becomes the parent of 12 tribes and a nation that would bear his future name, Israel. This transformative history begins in this mixed-up mess of a family, And so my next five sermons will take us on a journey, a journey where we see God at work in the lives of families and individuals, shaping them, changing them, interceding in their lives, and calling them. But today, the story is about a muddled mess of a boy, Jacob, and a dysfunctional family It's a story of that same boy cheating his older brother, and that's where it begins. And yet, as a preview, it ends in hope. So I ask you now, consider your beginning, your family of origin, your current context, your secret sins, and the flaws that only you know. They are the strands that are woven into the tapestry of your personal story. It is purposeful, and indeed it too, by the grace of God, will also end, hopefully. This is the good news. Amen.